Greetings to our listening community. This is the day that the Lord has made, and we shall rejoice and be glad in it. I am Reverend J. Stuart Glover, and you're listening to Faith Talk. Today, we're going to continue along with our topic, Introduction to Biblical Thought. And our guest is Professor Jacqueline Goff McNish. I'm certainly excited about her being here with us today and, and contributing to this series in such a powerful way. Hi, yes. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie, for coming in. We're going to just set a little context of where we're at. Um, last week, we discussed the creation story. Um, and this is an introductory um, level to, to, to getting some sort of biblical thought or acquainted with the Bible. Um, so last week, we discussed the creation story from the book of Genesis. And now we're at a point many, many years later where humanity has certainly journeyed outside, well outside and beyond the Garden of Eden. And at this point in the story, we find an Israelite family that has fled into Egypt to escape the horrors of famine in their own land. They, they lived in Egypt and, and grew in numbers as a people. Now, I was ready to jump right into this story, uh, but Jackie brought it to my attention that perhaps we should mention the names of this family and identify who they are. And Jackie, why is it important that we, or the first time reader or the first time hearer of this story, um, gets to know these names? Uh, because this family is the family that God is going to call his children. So this family is the children of, made up the children of Israel. Their father um, was uh, J- Jacob, who was later called Israel. And so all these 12 sons are his children. And they're going to be the children of Israel, which will make up the Jewish nation. And therefore, I thought it was important to mention that. Yeah. And so, well, thank you for that. And the names of them, you know, in the in the first chapter of Exodus, Exodus 1, it starts out giving us their names. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who went to Egypt with Jacob, each with his family, Reuben, um, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Nephtali, Gad, and Asher. And, and it says that the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all, and Joseph was already there. Matter of fact, Joseph was there and he, he had gained a uh, position of prominence in, in the Egyptian society. Uh, he, he, he grew to be a leader, a powerful leader. But now in this story, we're reading that Joseph and all his brothers and all that generation died. Yes. And, and, and the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful, the Bible says. They multiplied, multiplied greatly increased in numbers and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. And then the story introduces a new king to whom Joseph meant nothing at all. He came into power in Egypt and he became concerned. Jackie, can can you share a little bit with us about this concern of the new new king? Yes, so the king 
like you mentioned, um, Reverend Jay, had no idea who Joseph was. But his concern was that here are these people who might be, they're mightier than we are. They're bigger than we are. And so we, we, we need to do something about them. Because if we don't, it says in verse 10, they will multiply. And they might join our enemies against us. That was their concern. And if they join the enemies, then we're in big trouble. Because we will never, it says, never get them out of the land, is what verse 10 says. So the king was very, very concerned. And so he did something about it. He decided to enslave them. And so what he did was he created taskmasters, it says, who were going to afflict them with burdens. So he was going to make sure that they felt that uh, he had power. And so verse 12 tells us that he actually did it. He afflicted them. But the more he did, the more they multiplied and grew. And of course, this did not help. He was very upset. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, this certainly, um, uh, it reminds me of today, as a matter of fact, that we, we have some concerns. Um, so the, the king was fearful that of being numerically outnumbered, which would lead to the loss of power. And, and he was afraid that the, the Israelites would, would join the enemy and, and eventually um, turn against them. And he, he then would lose his, his free labor force. The king's response was then, as, as Jackie just uh, shared with us, was to force them into a, a greater position of servitude through forced hard labor. And, and that was in, in construction and agriculture. The working conditions were harsh. It was oppressive. It was a form of slavery. Um, and, 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 you know, today, today we, we are, uh, there are some people in this country that have a fear of being outnumbered. Um, that's a big controversy today. Um, and the, the, the numerical majority they project in years to come will no longer be the numerical majority. <laughs> so that's what I think of when I, when I read this story. But so the king, he wasn't um, satisfied with exploiting them as laborers. His next step was even more aggressive. And the Bible says in verse 15 that the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, when you're helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if mm -hmm. it is a girl, let her live. Right. So these are instructions to carry out nothing less than genocide mm -hmm. against the Hebrew people. And what is genocide? Genocide is the, the deliberate and systematic destruction of a racial, political, or cultural group. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Does and, that? Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, every time I think of this genocide, I think of slavery as one of our slavery of Africans, as one of our modern day examples of genocide. And the connection, we cannot miss the connection between slavery and genocide. Because when it doesn't work, let's over, overwork them, then let's kill them. And this is exactly what Pharaoh decided to do. And I, I, I'm just happy for the midwives because it tells us in verse 17 that the midwives 
feared God. They feared God. And so they did not do what the king had commanded. And instead they saved the men child, which is like, what a blessing. Because when the king now saw that the midwives weren't doing, <laughs> was saving them, and he asked him, and the midwife said, it's because these Egyptian women, they have the babies so fast that we can't do anything about it. Yes. But God blessed the midwives. It says in verse 20 that God blessed the midwives and he made, gave them houses in verse 21. Amen. Well, you know, um, just backing up a second, this thought of genocide as being a way to extinguish a particular people and, and you related um, slavery. We can't um, forget about the uh, the uh, relationship between the, the strategy of slavery and, and the existence of genocide. So today I would offer that there are when you when you look at all of the policies that are in place that rob people of their freedoms and power in in society this is also collectively can i i see it as as being a, another form of genocide but as you said jackie that god blessed the midwives and so we should learn something from that the midwives stood in uh in solidarity with the hebrew women on the birth birthing stool and i and god bless them so i would say that that people today who identify as christian should also stand in solidarity with people that are oppressed in any way and oppose anything we as believers should oppose anything that systematically forces suffering on a particular people and what does that look like today in in, in practical terms i'm talking about unaffordable housing inadequate health care, non-access to fresh food and unaffordable education, yes. mass incarceration, food deserts and food insecurities. So I think that these are all shortcomings in our society that we as believers should stand in solidarity with those who are being affected by these policies and practices that serve collectively as a genocide against people. And I want to add um uh marginalization because one of the very subtle ways of destroying people is by taking away any power that they have so as long as we can force them to the edges and move them away for what could be central power then we have taken away their power yes and their personhood because we begin to tell them that they're less than and that's a very, very good, strong way of destroying people. Absolutely, absolutely. My goodness, we, we're going in deep, and we just started. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I want to say this. If there's, um, there's some people in the room, and, and if you have any comments, you, you, know, you can put it in the chat. Um, we're going to um, talk, talk um, and maybe address some of those things a little bit later. Um, you can also um, visit the website. You can pull that off the profile and enter some extensive comments if you'd like on the website to, and connect with me personally, and we can address those. So now we're getting to, to chapter two. And again, this is an introductory uh, level um, uh, 
introduction to to biblical thought. So we're we're going into chapter two, and these are brief brief analysis of, of the content, right? So in chapter two, we're introduced to um, we're going to be introduced to the birth of Moses, and and let me just say something about Moses. Um, I was reading a uh, a writer wrote this. He says, the life of Moses presents a series of striking antitheses. He was the child of a slave and the son of a queen. He was born in a hut and lived in a palace. He inherited poverty and enjoyed unlimited wealth. He was the leader of armies and the keeper of flocks. He was the mightiest of warriors and the meekest of men. He was educated in the court and dwelt in the desert. He had the wisdom of Egypt and the faith of a child. He was fitted for the city and wandered in the wilderness. He was tempted with the pleasures of sin and endured the hardships of virtue. He was backward in speech and talked with God. He had the rod of a shepherd and the power of the infinite. He was a, a fugitive from Pharaoh and an ambassador from heaven. He was the giver of the law and the forerunner of grace. He died alone on Mount Moab and appeared with Christ in Judea. No man assisted at his funeral, yet God buried him. Wow. So in this in this brief um, uh, writing about the life of Moses and pointing out the, the wild, the wide life experience and, the, and of diversity of context, uh, Moses, Moses lived a very full um, life experience. And now we get to see where uh, Moses is introduced into this biblical text. You know, I don't something I don't want us to miss, which, you know, sometimes it's easy to just overlook this. But in verse 1, we're told that he's from the house of Levi. And the house of Levi later plays a huge role in the temple. And the temple being the place of worship for the children of Israel, but also the place where the Holy Spirit, God himself lived. And so we don't want to miss that he was from the, 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 um, the house of Levi. So immediately we see the potential for this child knowing in verse one that he's from the house of Levi. Hey, man, Jackie, thanks for putting on the brakes right there <laughs> and telling us to slow down in our reading. Yeah, and so so um, he's from, his father was from the tribe of Levi. Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. Now, don't forget, this is, this is while they were instructing the people, by the way, I think I, I, I didn't say it, but after the, the midwives, um, you know, they thwarted the plan of the Pharaoh and they didn't, they stood against his commands to kill the boys. Um, the Pharaoh widened his instructions and he gave his order to all of his people that every Hebrew, Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile and let every girl live. So now this child, the boy is now... Um, three months and and the mother decides that she cannot hide him any longer so what did she do she gets a basket and it's coated with the bible says tar and pitch this is like mud and 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 organic material that would 
form a protective coating so the water wouldn't come in and it would have some be able to float a little bit. Then it says that she placed the child in it and put him among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. So she did put him in the river. She didn't toss him in the river to die. She placed him in a protective um, uh, uh, basket which would offer him some protection and, and hiding in the reeds along the bank of the Nile. And the Bible says that his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. And and I, I, I want to, I, I love that you pointed that out, Jay, because here, the fact that other babies were being tossed in the river was a protection for him because one of the fears I, I heard some of my Sunday school teachers said when I was a child, that the fear the mother might have had is that now that he was three months old, he would start crying and making noise and then he would be discovered. But to put him in the river with the other crying children was also another interesting thing. My Sunday school teacher, when I was a child mentioned so this woman was being very wise. His mother was wise. And then to have a lookout person, his sister, who could look out to see. So he had the protection also of his sister who was checking out. And I also, my Sunday school teacher, who was amazing, talked about this idea of creating this uh, almost the, the, the cradle that this might be an example of an ark. Right. That idea of an ark, which we know about um, with most, uh, Noah and the ark. Exactly. So another way of protecting him in the water, like the ark protected Noah and the people. Amen. So now, so far in this story, and I would, I would you know, a few weeks ago, I did a talk on, on this platform about the role of women and women in the church, and because there are some folk who, who oppose women being in, in positions of leadership. And my point was that throughout the Bible, we see women being lifted in honorable um, positions and activities through the biblical text, and, and such it is in this case. So far, we see honorable women serving to thwart the evil plan of the king. The midwives, they, they stood antithetically opposed to, to killing the babies. They stood in solidarity with the Hebrew woman, uh, women. Um, and now the mother who placed the baby in a hiding place in the river places him in a protective vessel, the ark, a forerunner or, or a picture of the ark of God's providence instead of throwing him into the water to die. So in all of this, we see God's intervention using women to do it uh, in, in God's providential care. And now we're about to see Pharaoh's own daughter serving in this rescuing capacity. The Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw this basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. 
And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So yeah. the, women, the women took the baby and nursed him. And, and when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses saying, I drew him out of the water. And at that point, <laughs> this is amazing. I, I love that you mentioned the, the role of the women so far, because we haven't seen a man stepped up to do anything yet. We won't go there, but you know where I'm going. So now, and not only has Pharaoh, uh, Pharaoh's daughter adopted Moses as her son, but she is willing to pay someone to take care of this baby. And she knows that it's a Hebrew baby. She knows, right? She says this is one of those babies that was supposed to be thrown in the water. So she knows, but she also is willing to take care of this child and not do exactly what her father, the Pharaoh, was telling them to do, which is to just throw the kids in the water and get rid of them. But not only she took in the child, she listened to what the sister said, she found a nurse, she had the baby, she paid to have the baby fed and, and taken care of, and now she, is a, she has adopted Moses. And she names him, she called his name Moses. Mm -hmm. And so we see Moses is now rescued. And, and, you know, the story, I started out this session by saying one of my favorite verses from this is um, where, where the scripture tells us that God said, I have come down to rescue them. And that is the huge theme in this entire book, a, a theme of rescue. It's a theme that is carried into my own life. I feel as though that God has rescued me in my struggle. So now the Bible goes on to tell us that... Um, after Moses had grown up, he went out where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and looking this way and, and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. And, and the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And one man says, who made you ruler? and judge over us. Are you thinking of killing me as you killed this Egyptian? And then mm -hmm. Moses became afraid and said to himself, what I did must have become known to everybody. And then what happened? Pharaoh hears of this and again, he tries to kill Moses. So mm -hmm. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian. Yes. And so here we see another attempt to kill Mer Moses. First, mm -hmm. it was the order to to kill all the babies. Now here's an order to kill Moses directly. Yes. And, and, and so he, he runs away to Midian. And here he is. The, the Bible says in verse 15, he sat down by a well. He sat down by a well. At least he's having a drink of water, I guess. But he sat down by the well. And the priest of Midian who had these seven daughters and they came of course to get some water and the water was to uh, feed their father's flock but the shepherds also came and drove the daughters away and you know Moses Moses stood up helped them and watered the flock 
And when they went home, they told their dad. And they actually said he was an Egyptian who delivered them out of the hand of the shepherd and helped them to draw the water. At that point, he says to them, why didn't you invite them? Why did you leave him? So he's invited to have dinner with them. And then now the relationship developed and Moses marries one of the daughters, Zipporah. Mm -hmm. So now um, the Bible says that during this long period, the king of Egypt died. And, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. Um, and in verse 24, it says, God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. Now, here's the thing. It says, God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So what happens? What does God do? Here we get to see the activity of God. We see God entering into the struggle of his people. I like to say that in my own life and in the life of all believers today, that God in the person of Jesus has entered into our struggle. God is active. And in this case, we brought to chapter three, and, and this is often referred to as Moses and the burning bush. And it says that Moses was in the fields. I'm going to paraphrase this. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Now, this is an unusual sight and it gets Moses' attention. He sees that this bush was on fire, but it wasn't consumed. So Moses thinks, let me get over there and see what is going mm -hmm. on and why this bush does not burn up. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, this is a Bible story, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. And then he tells him, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I like this take off your sandals piece because Moses has now crossed from his, the activities of his daily life. You know, it's like take off them shoes that take you along your ordinary travels every day. Now you've stepped into the presence of God, and this is holy ground. God, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think a little, I, I love this. I love this because verse 2 says, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him. Appeared unto him. And then verse four, and when the Lord saw, he had turned aside. And it's just interesting because here is Moses having his epiphanic journey. This is his epiphany. Here he is, and it is the journey that he's on. Because in all of the story to this point, we have not seen his encounter with the Lord. We have seen all the things he's done. And we could even speculate that he's done all of this. He's been protected by God. He's done all of this because he is in the place where he is respecting what God wants, etc. 
But now here is the moment when on his epiphanic journey, when he's going to have an encounter, a real encounter with God. And as you say, Jay, and you brought it to my attention, he needs to take off those shoes. He needs to take off those shoes. He needs to make a commitment to God and not use his old stuff, which is the shoes, because he's now on holy ground. Amazing. Well, what's what's also amazing is, you know, God tells him, after he tells him to take off his shoes and tells him he's standing on holy ground in the presence of God, then he said, he introduces himself, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This encounter begins with God identifying himself. Mm-hmm. And, and at this, it says, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. You know, when, when I saw that, something comes to my mind, which is that, you know, I guess this idea of the fear of looking at God is understandable because as we stand in his presence with all of our human frailties and feelings of inadequacies and sinfulness, etc., right? But we are actually unable to hide from God. Our attempts to hide are actually our resistance, our avoidance, and and our getting away from this encounter with God. You know, we we like to ignore God's invitation to to a place of peace, wholeness, and reconciliation. Um, So I I think that um, we should know today that we cannot just turn our face away and expect that we're um, hiding from God. That's just like in the creation story where Adam said, well, I was, I was afraid, so I hid. Hid his face. He was afraid to look on God. That is good. That is good. So we, we, need, we need to um, ask ourselves the question, are we hiding? We talked about this in the creation story. Are we hiding or resisting or afraid of God? And our fear translates into um, into our hiding. And how do we hide? We can we can um, avoid prayer. We can, because we don't want to encounter God in prayer. We don't want to hear what He might have to say. Uh-huh. We can avoid Bible study because we don't want to hear what God might say to us. Right? We can we can avoid going to church. We can avoid talking about God. We can. There are so many resistances. Our busyness can serve as a resistance mm-hmm. to, to actually encountering God. You know, so, and somehow for, for a lot of us, the, the embedded theologies of our youth have led us to a place of, of hearing God and expecting judgment and punishment instead of uh, putting us in a, in a mindset of receiving God's blessing and his growing us. You know, but the exciting thing is Moses was afraid to look upon God, but he was able to hear what God had to say. A lot of times when we are afraid, we miss what God has to say because we can't hear him. But from verse 7 on, it tells us what God is actually saying to Moses. So Moses is able to hear God speak. What does he say in verse 7, Jackie? He tells Moses that, don't think I haven't noticed 
don't think I have heard, but I have surely seen the affliction of the people, and I have heard their cry. And he says, and I know their sorrows. So he has seen it, he has heard it, and he knows it. That's what God told him. And in verse 8, he says, and now I'm here. I have come to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptian, and I'm going to bring them. I love it. I'm going to bring them into a land, a large land that is flowing with milk and honey. And he says unto, and he tells him, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. He said, you know, all of these people think they own that land. No, no, no. It's going to be yours. I'm taking you to a place flowing with milk and honey. Hmm. So, so here's a theme then that God is aware of our suffering. Now we can take this, you know, as we observe from the text, God is aware of their suffering in their conditions in, in Egypt. And, you know, I would just like to say today that I believe that God is aware of my sufferings. And God, uh, many, many years ago, when I decided to give my life over to God, um, the best way I could at that time, uh, I believe that God entered in. And, and as I began to embrace his, his mercy and, and, and molding and shaping me, he's put me on a journey that has made my life much better over these many years. But something happens um, in this story now, and it's kind of shocking to Moses. Now, don't forget, Pharaoh had given this, uh, this order to kill all the babies. Then he, he, um, he was um, trying to kill Moses. And now God says to Moses in verse 10, so now go. I'm yes. sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Now Moses was probably shaking in his boots at this <laughs> Panicked, panicked. So God is sending him back to the one who tried to kill him. Back to the most powerful person in the land. And what does Moses do? What's his response to... He says, who am I? Mm. And it reminds me of that Psalm, Jay. I'm sure you know it. When he says, who am I that the king should bleed and die for? And it's talk with, the song actually is talking about who are we that God should do stuff for us and should use us. And Moses, he says it. He says, who am I? Who am I that I should go to, to Pharaoh? And that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt. Who am I, you know? And God, God, God assures him. God assures him. He said, I will be with you. I will be with you. I will be with you. And I'm going to give you the evidence. He said, I'm going to give you a token so that you know I've sent you. When you have brought the, children, the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. Amen. But Moses, uh, the, the resistance of Moses <laughs> doesn't stop there. Yes. I mean, he goes on to express... In three different ways. <laughs> yeah, he goes on to express his feelings of inadequacy and his uncertainty. He says, um, God, suppose I go to them and say, the God of your father has sent me, and they ask me what's his name. 
And what shall I tell them? And and uh, God said, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. So God also said to the to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. The Lord's instructions don't stop there. Mm -hmm. Jackie, can you continue with verse 16? Yeah, yeah. So I, I just love the I am, Jay. I'm so glad you mentioned that. Mm -hmm. In verse 16, he says, I want you to go to the elders and you want to tell them that the Lord God of your father, and he's reminding them of what we what he said to them in Genesis, right? The book before this one. The God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob appeared unto me. So it's validating who Moses is hearing his information from. Because the people of Israel, the elders, will have heard of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. So he says, those people will validate my message. He says, tell, tell the people that that same God, that same God has appeared and tell them that I have seen that which is done to you in Egypt. And he said, I will bring you out of the affliction of Egypt into the land of Canaanites. And he, he repeats what was said before. Mm -hmm. Praise God. So then, you know, he goes on to tell, God goes on to tell Moses what he's going to do and what's going to happen, what the outcome is going to be. And Moses' response in chapter 4, he, he, his, his resistance doesn't stop. <laughs> and he said, now, God explained the whole story. <laughs> yes. This is what's going to happen. And Moses says, what if they don't believe me mm. or listen to me? And, or say something like, the Lord did not even appear to you. And then God but says, Jay, well, yes. I don't want you to miss the end of, as a woman, I just don't want you to miss this. The end of chapter three, mm -hmm. when he says every woman mm -hmm. should get some jewelry, right? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. Wow. It says, jewels of silver, jewels of gold, and some beautiful clothes. I just love it. Anyway, back hey, to man. you. Hey, man, I, I think I think Stephanie has read that part, too. <laughs> so, so in chapter four, you know, Moses, again, he begins to um, express his his concerns, his uncertainties, his inadequacies, his doubts and trying to understand it all. And, and um, the Lord says to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground and, and, it, and it becomes a snake and. And, and the story continues. Um, he, God tells him to put his hand inside his coat and some, some out of the ordinary things happen. Um, and then, you know, he tell, God tells Moses to, to, to perform these things in front of the people if they don't believe you. And, and this should, you know, have an impact on, on their thought. Um, and this is the funny part. Moses, his resistance still continues. Still continues. He says, continues. he says, Lord, pardon your servant, but I've never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to me. 
<laughs> I'm slow of speech and tongue. So now basically Moses is saying, I'm not a great speaker. I'm not mm-hmm. a great preacher. I don't have the words for these people. And the Lord said, who gave human beings their mouths? Yes. And yes, who yes, makes yes. them deaf or mute? Mm-hmm. Who gives them sight and who makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go and I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. Now I got a word of caution right here mm-hmm. for, for the upcoming preachers. I know that God gives us the words to say. But if I was you, preacher, I wouldn't wait until you get in the pulpit for what, to hear what the <laughs> word of the Lord says. You need to prepare yourself. Don't skip over your Bible study and exegeting the text. Do all of that, and God will meet you in the study. That's not what this, this is not telling you that you don't need to study your Bible or just wait till you get in the pulpit to start preaching and expect to hear from the Lord. Well, you know, the scripture I think of is in John, where Jesus reminds um, his disciples at the Last Supper that he says the Holy Spirit will remind you. Mm-hmm. Holy Spirit can remind you of something you don't know about. That's right. <laughs> so, Amen. That's that's what we need to be telling the young preachers. The Amen. Holy Spirit will remind you. Amen. What the Bible tells us in John, Jesus told his um, disciples in the Last Supper that the Holy Spirit will remind them. So mm-hmm. can't remind you of something you don't know. <laughs> yeah. Amen. You know, I've had I've had when I when I went to the seminary, I had um, people tell me, "Well, you know, brother." You don't need all of that. All you need is the Holy Spirit. And God speaks to you. And I, and I thought about it and I said, well, you know, some of my professors have spoken to me loud and clear. Yes. <laughs> In red on the back of my papers. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> yeah. So in all, of this, in all of this inadequacies and frustration and confusion and, and, and surprise that God would even pick somebody like him to to send back, to speak truth to power, as they say, Moses comes to this this, uh, conclusion. He says, in verse 13, he says, Moses says, pardon your servant, Lord, but please send someone else. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that calls us to accountability. Has God gifted us? Has God God, um, lifted us from the, the dreadful lifestyles that we were living and now we're not willing to to share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Are so we did, self-absorbed? Or do we live a self-absorbed Christianity? Or are we willing to be used by God to share the good news? That that's just the part I was gonna say. You took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna say that. And sometimes well, we get so caught up in what we see as our inadequacies that we don't do what God has called us to do. Exactly mm-hmm. what you said. And not only that, but we get we get um, so self-absorbed that we we don't um, we we confine the, our salvific experience to what happens to us individually, mm-hmm. and it becomes individually as opposed to collectively in in, in community, our, yeah. in, our involvement and impact on the community that we live. <clears throat> so then um, the Bible says that the Lord's anger burned against Moses at this point. <laughs> he was getting a little annoyed. Yeah. And he says, well, what about your brother? I know he can speak very well. And and so God now, uh, he, he has laid out the plan to Moses. And Moses um, 
has now decided to go ahead on and do what God is asking him to do. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to jump ahead to chapter five. Okay. Oh, I hear pages turning. The sound of <laughs> pages turning is wonderful. I'm keeping up with this stuff. Yes. Yeah. So, and, and they, they, uh, they call this chapter, the editor's note in my uh, Bible. They call this, they refer to this as, as, as bricks without straw. Mm, and yeah. um, it says that Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh and they stand there and say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people, people go, go. Mm-hmm. so that they may hold a festival to me in the, in wilderness. the wilderness. And Pharaoh says, who, Who is, is the, the Lord, Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. So don't forget, this Pharaoh <laughs> is the most, he's the big dog on the block. Mm-hmm. He's the most powerful man in the region. And and there was a bit of, um, what do they call it? Um, self-deity. You know, they, they proclaim themselves as God. Uh, in 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 this context, and so Pharaoh refuses to to let the people go. And historically, that's who Pharaoh was. Mm. He was the most powerful person in that moment, in that place. He certainly was. And so, when he says, "Who is the Lord?" in this, you know, it's like it's almost like he's saying. I am the Lord. Excuse me? I don't know. I don't know the Lord. Come on. I don't know the Lord, and I'm not going to let Israel go, he says. And they said to him, the God of Hebrew, of the Hebrew, have met with us. Let us go. We pray thee. And he says, we want to just go to sacrifice unto the Lord of, uh, Lord our God. And the king, of course told them no way no way he says you know first of all this is his labor force yeah and the king says why are you taking the people away from their labor get back to work and pharaoh says look the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working um then he gives a, a very strange order. I mean, you know, if you're trying to get something done, it would seem like you would do it the most efficient way. But here, just to create an extra hardship on these mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. for their, for their um, even expressing the idea that they want to go out and have a, a, um, a festival to this God that Frau knows nothing about, he tells them to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of these people, he says, you are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and find their own straw. So the bricks were made from straw and mud. And they used to supply them with the straw and the mud. But now he's saying, now you have to go out and get your own straw and make it. So the job became um, harder. harder. They wanted the same quota. They wanted the same amount of bricks to be made, um, irregardless of this extra step that they have to take. And when I say extra step, it was a big step. Big step. And actually tells them in verse 11 
that their work cannot be diminished. Mm -hmm. They better do it at the same level. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so they had to keep up. And, and what did they do? It says in verse 14 that Pharaoh's slave drivers beat the Israelite overseers they had appointed, saying, why haven't you met your quota of bricks yesterday or today as before? Yes. And, and the, now these people that they're beating are Israelites. And yes. they're Hebrew people. And they've just been placed in charge of the slaves, overseas the slaves. But they themselves were uh, were were. Hebrew people, and I think we've seen that in uh, if you watch some of them old slave movies, we always see the the slaves that's been put in charge of the other slaves. Right? Yes, yes, and 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 this one um, now they they um, they they came back to Pharaoh. They say, "Why have you treated your servants this way? And you gave us no straw, and we're told to keep up making these bricks. And your servants are being beaten, but the fault." is with your own people. People. Okay. And Pharaoh said, lazy, you can't blame them. Uh, mm, goodness gracious. Pharaoh said that they were lazy. Yes. You know, I hear that term thrown around today. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a racist term to say people that are, that are without employment just don't want to work. Just don't want to work. And they're lazy. Mm -hmm. That's not mm -hmm. always the case. Matter of fact, it's a rather racist um, uh, statement to to color, to, to paint a, a, a picture of laziness over a particular people. Mm. Yes. And so, of course, yeah, you, what you're talking about, verse 17, you're idle. You're idle. You're, they kept saying it. You're idle. You're idle. Okay. And it's your people have gotten you into this trouble, is what they say to them. Mm -hmm. Because you've asked to go make sacrifice to the Lord. It's your people that's getting you into this trouble. Mm -hmm. So so now the, the overseers who were Israelites, they um they realize that they're in a lot of trouble. And they go looking for Moses and Aaron. Mm -hmm. And when they found them, they say, May the Lord look on you and judge you. You've made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And, and Moses goes back to God. Yes. And says, why, Lord, have you brought trouble on these people? Is this why you sent me? Mm-hmm. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he brought trouble on his people, and you have not rescued your people at all. Oh, verse 23, yes. Mm-hmm. Not rescued your people at all. Mm -hmm. But yeah. then God doesn't take that sitting down. He says, the Lord says to Moses, now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. He'll be glad to get rid of them. <laughs> yeah, but that didn't happen right away. No, no, no. As a matter of fact, what did happen? So, uh, first thing is he reminds them, I'm the Lord. And he reminds them who he is. And, and I love verse 3 where he says, my name is Jehovah. Yes, in verse 3. And he says that he will establish his covenant with them. And he says, I've heard the groaning. 
I'm going to take care of it. I will take you to, I, and I will take you to me for a people and I'll be with you. He, he reminds him of the covenant he had made with him. Verse mm-hmm. 8, he concludes because I am the Lord. I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. Verse 11, he tells him to go back to Pharaoh and tell Pharaoh to let my children go. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Moses, again, goes to the Lord and says, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I'm speaking with faltering lips? You know, in other words, that nothing is happening. <laughs> I'm out here giving all of these instructions and, and basically he's pointing at the finger at God. It's like, you're not doing anything. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is not happening, right? Mm-hmm. So... Anyway, the story continues on, and then we get the, uh, a long list of, of um, genealogies and, and, and uh, I should say, family members and, and uh, who, who these, who these um, families were made up of, right? And we get down to um, chapter 7, right? And the Lord says to Moses, you see, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But now here's Jackie. I love this. I love that. And I think it's often misread, though. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. But now hold on a second. Because when it says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, it's some, I, I don't read it as though God is making or orchestrating the hardness of Pharaoh's heart. I think it should, I think it should be read as, but I am the cause of, of Pharaoh's heart being hard towards me. It's not that his heart is hard towards Moses and Aaron, his heart has been hardened towards God. Yes. So, so it, to me, it reads like I, um, I, uh, the the Pharaoh's heart is hardened because of me, not yeah. that I did it to him. I, I absolutely agree because when he says, "I will multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, but Pharaoh shall not hearken unto thee." And what that reminds me is in the book of John again, when Jesus was talking to his disciples in that last supper, he said, people who are of the world, they can't understand me and they don't understand God and they don't understand the Holy Spirit. So for Pharaoh here, and that's why I totally agree with you, Jay, is not so much that he's going to harden his heart, but the heart is hardened against him because here is someone who can't understand the ways of God, which is what we read in the book of John. He, 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 he can't understand the ways of God because he sees himself as being God. Absolutely. And so his, his heart is hardened to the idea, how dare somebody mm-hmm. come into my house mm-hmm. and talk about letting my slaves go. And, and the Bible tells us that Moses was 80 years old mm. when this was all going on. Mm-hmm. So that gives me hope <laughs> <laughs> that I'll still be streaking, speaking truth to power yes, at, eight, yes. at 80. It's at impossible, 80. right? Yeah, amen. Um, so, mm-hmm. 
And 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 I, I like when uh, God God is telling Moses how it's all going to come down. Uh, you know, this is God. He's telling Moses, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. He says, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. Mm-hmm. The Egyptians should also know it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I want to take a moment because there, there are a good number of people in the room. I just want to thank everybody for coming in and hanging out and listening. Or if you're passing through, I, I hope that you heard something that maybe you didn't hear and bring some clarity to um, this biblical text if you've never read it and your own spiritual experience. I also want to uh, take a moment to thank, um, there are people who have engaged the website of www.reverendjstuartglover.com. I mean, people from are hearing these conversations in the United States, United Kingdom, in Ireland, India, Sweden, China, Canada, Kenya, Zambia, Singapore, Germany, Belgium, Philippines, Jamaica, the Virgin Islands, New Zealand, Mexico, France, Ecuador, and Brazil. So I'm excited about that. Um, this wisdom platform has has allowed us to present these um, narratives in a way that that um, uh, takes us on a global mission, as they say. So I'm happy about that. So again, if you have any um, chat, um, if you have any questions or clarifications, you can put it in the chat, or you can leave the comments on on the website. And we can address that later. So now where are we at in this story? We're getting up to these plagues. And the people hear a lot about these plagues. Um, and, and we don't have to go through each and every plague. Um, Jackie, you're going to be running out of, um, you're going to have to, you know, come back in, in in a couple of minutes, right? Okay, okay. And so we have a whole list of plagues that happens. You know, um, the, the pharaoh's heart is hard towards the idea of of another god being in existence besides him and then god um ups the game a little bit and he starts afflicting pharaoh and his people with some dreadful conditions and and that includes you know a plague of blood um a plague of frogs a plague of gnats and the plague of flies, a plague on the livestock, a plague of boils, a plague of hail, and a plague of locusts, at, and, and a plague of darkness. Now, at each and every one of these plagues is dreadful, okay? And, and you would think, and, and Pharaoh even, he even says, okay, okay, that's enough, you know, that's enough, I'm going to let him go, and then he changes his mind. <laughs> so, so, um, I think that the Pharaoh was a very strong-willed person, unwilling to submit to the the word of God, period. And and how do do we do that? And do we bring suffering upon ourselves because of our own unwillingness to yield ourselves to the wise counsel of God? And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to say that, that God afflicts us with anything, but Nowadays, what happens is we reject God and we end up in trouble anyhow. But but what's interesting is that even the magicians were telling Pharaoh, you know, in verse 19 of chapter 8, the magician said unto Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. <laughs> you know, and his heart gets even harder. How about that? How about that? So, Jackie, you got, you know, 20... 
three seconds. You're yeah, gonna, I'm gonna get okay. out. I'll get back. And come back in, and um, before we um, go further, I just want to again say that these plagues were dreadful, um, and we have to be careful about developing a theology that attributes our suffering to God. In this case, this is a story that where that where God actually afflicts people uh, with a suffering because of the the leader's disobedience. But but today, we have to be careful about saying things like um, uh, I got COVID or he got COVID because he's God, you know, struck him with COVID or or um, perhaps the, the 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 plague the the COVID was was a sickness that you caught right um you know so we have to be careful about a trip my point is we have to be careful about attributing sickness and calamity with being orchestrated by god this text should not be read and applied to ourselves as we read what god is doing to this this pharaoh and his people so now we get down to um chapter 11 which clearly brings us to the uh, 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 the plague it, the editor's notes call it the plague of the first yes. and, and and this is at the end of all of these plagues now the Lord says to Moses I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt and after that he will let mm-hmm. you go from here and when he does he will drive you out completely so he says, tell the people, um, and men and women alike, to ask their neighbors for silver and gold and, and um, about midnight. He said, this is what the Lord says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the female slave who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. Now, but it says, but among the Israelites, not a dog will bark at any person or animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. And all of these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, go, you and all the people who follow you. And after that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. So now, so now um, this is it. Uh, this is this is as I say the rubber hits yes. the road. It's getting heated, and the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. And Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before the Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his out of his. Um, out of his country. And that gives us to chapter 12. Chapter 12, which is called the Passover. Right? So what happens here? So here, um, God tells Moses to speak to the congregation of Israel and that they shall take a lamb and they should kill that lamb and they should it says let every neighbor next unto the house 
according every man according to his eating shall take your count for the lamb and it should be a lamb without blemish should be a male lamb and they shall take the blood and strike it on two side posts on the upper door posts of the house where they shall eat it okay let's hold on a second <laughs> so now i like the i like where it says the animals you must choose um, must be without defect yeah. right so when we, when we hear jesus referred to as the lamb without blemish mm -hmm. This is this is where this comes from. Um, you couldn't bring a crippled lamb or a lamb with defect into the the this altar to to the altar to be sacrificed. It had to be a lamb without blemish. And Jesus is often referred to as the lamb without blemish. And then it says that they were to take some of the blood and, and put it on the, the sides and the tops of the door frames on the house so now the house is covered the under blood. the blood right and uh with the house being covered with the blood in verse 12 it says on that night i will pass through egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals and will bring judgment on all the gods of egypt and that gods is spelled with a little g right i am the lord and the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And no destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So, you know, um, Jane, um, I, I, yes. I, I, there's a little part I, I really um, like. It's where he tells them how to get ready. He actually mm -hmm. tells them to gird their loins and the shoes on your feet and the staff in your hand. You're to eat mm -hmm. as if you're going out, <laughs> you know? So mm -hmm. get yourself ready by having your um, clothes on, your shoes on, and your staff ready because you're to eat in haste. And it says it is the Lord's Passover. Amen. I like that part. We're, yeah, so we're ready. So, I mean, this is certainly a foreshadow of what was going to happen at the cross. Yes. The Passover. Lamb. The lamb without blemish would be slain mm -hmm. and the we would be covered our sinfulness would be covered by the blood of Jesus, right? And on, in verse 14, it says, this is a day that you are to com commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Now, you know, sorry, go ahead. You're going to say it. I know you're going to say it. Say it, Jay. I'll, 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 uh, I'll give you the executive privilege. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to say, and now the Passover is when Jesus was crucified. It was around the time of the celebration of the Passover. So speaks to this. Go ahead. Absolutely. And and the Jewish community still celebrates this Passover um very, you know, um fervently every year. They're still commemorating this day. And when we uh we gather together for um, communion services, we, we do it, when, in our church, we do it on the first Sunday. 
we are to remember that Christ is our um, our Passover. He gathered the disciples together on that day, on, around that Passover celebration to have the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. You know, at and verse 15, verse 15 says, seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, but the first day, the first day, you shall put away the leaven out of your house. First day. So Amen. there goes Sunday. I just Amen. said <laughs> So, first day. um, so then uh, it's important to, for us to identify the Passover, which celebrates the deliverance out of their bondage of slavery from Egypt. That's what the Passover celebrates. And we celebrate our, uh, the Eucharist, the communion with God um, as being a day of remembrance that we celebrate that all that God has done for us, delivering us through his son, Jesus the Christ. Amen. 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 And, it's, and it's a day. It's a day when we should reflect. You know, the, we, we are, are taught that the communion service should be preceded by self-examination, which means that we're asking ourselves some questions. And, and, and Am I? Am I where, where, where am I on the road that God has placed Amen. me on? And it should be in verse 16. There should be a holy convocation. A holy mm -hmm. convocation. On the first day, there shall be a holy convocation. Connect to mm -hmm. the communion you were talking about, Jay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So our communion service is, um, again, it's a time for self-examination. You should be asking yourself some questions. You know, am I am I living a life that's pleasing to God? Am I am I continuing to grow in the Lord, or am I so busy that I'm actually hiding from God? Am I resisting God like Moses was resisting God, or coming up with all of these reasons why he couldn't do what God called him to do? So, um, I think that as we engage in the communion service, we ought to be reminded of our liberation. And that we should be reminded of our being placed on the on the road to of sanctification. And let's speak to that for one second. How can we grow, continue to grow in the Lord, Jackie? Now I know what you're saying. <laughs> How do we continue to grow? You know, I mm -hmm. really believe today we had in our Bible study that the Holy Spirit lives with us. And the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the reminder that when Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit, since the Holy, not if, since the Holy Spirit lives in us as Christians and live with us, then our response, um, Jesus said to his disciples, if you love me, Keep my commands. What are his commands? Love thy, love God and love thy neighbor as yourself. How do you love God? By making sure we understand what he's saying in his word. By meeting to mm -hmm. worship. Make sure you're worshiping God. That make sure you are, you have that vertical relationship 
well established so that you're talking to God and God is talking to you. Make sure the horizontal mm-hmm. relationship, which is what he says, love thy neighbor as thyself, that that is also being maintained and fostered and enriched. So that's what God is calling us to do. Mm-hmm. And so the Bible says in, in chapter 12, in verse 29, it says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, um, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, um, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Now, don't forget, it was Pharaoh um, who, who, um, who said, uh, it was a Pharaoh who said to kill all the firstborn um, males. And then if it was a, a male at all, just to kill him. And now this, this firstborn being struck down is, is God's act against this particular people. And it says that during the night, when all of this is going on, Pharaoh summoned Moses. He said, okay, this is it. it. <laughs> he said, get up, leave my people, you and your Israelites. <laughs> Go worship the Lord as you have requested and take your flocks and herds as as you have said and go. <laughs> and also bless me on the yes. way up, right? Yes. <laughs> so um, yeah. they, they hurried. Go ahead, go ahead. They hurried and began to leave. So they, um, they, they went out and they asked people, they collected silver and gold. And, and the Lord had, had turned the Egyptians' hearts favorably towards the people, and they gave them what they asked for. So they had, they took a lot of wealth with them, right? Mm-hmm. And then, and they say there were at least 600,000 men on foot besides women and 600,000, yes. Yeah. And many other people went with yeah, them. Yeah, that's the part I was going to say. I was going to say mm-hmm. that, yes, many other people went with them, um, it wasn't just, it was, it says a mixed multitude went up right. also with them. So I just wanted mm-hmm. to point that out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know what? And I you know, Joe, in, um, yes. Joe, I mean, Jay, yes. Reverend Jay, okay. is uh, the, for the first time, the people, even the children of Israel are beginning to get it. In verse 27, it tells us, that the people bowed the head and worshipped. So when you were asking mm-hmm. me a while ago, what do you do, right? I wanted to point out that verse as well. I forgot it. Now I just remember that I have a star beside it. The people bowed the head and worshipped. That's what God calls us to do. That's Amen. what he's calling us to do, mm-hmm. is to worship him in every way. In every way. I like that. I like that. And now we see in, in chapter 30, um, very interesting, that we had all of these killings of the firstborn, and now God says to Moses, consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. And commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Amen. Yes. Amen. So we get to the to the part. Eventually, we're going to get to the part where they leave Egypt, and their leaving is uh, is um, 
going going out through the the Red Sea, right? Mm -hmm. So the story, if I could just paint the picture, the story is that they left, and somehow Pharaoh was was angry with wait, them, wait, but they're leaving. Just yeah, wanna, uh -huh. uh, before you get to that, because that is so exciting, that they took Joseph's bones with them. I just I just mm -hmm, thought mm. that was exciting. So wow. they're honoring Joseph, even though they could be complaining mm -hmm. about him, because he was the one who made them get to Egypt in the first place. They took his bones. I thought that was cool. Go ahead. Go ahead. So they, we hear about this crossing of the Red Sea. So they get down to the water. Pharaoh's army's chasing them, and we know the story. It says that the the um, the, the, the Pharaoh and his army are chasing after them. They, they put their feet in the water, the waters part, and, and they, they cross through on dry land on their way to the promised land. So it's, it's, a, um, it's a, a, a leap of faith for them to, to leave and to, to celebrate their, their leaving and to enter into this journey through the, the the parting of the Red Sea, and and now God is going to lead them into a the Promised Land, as it's referred. And to. and and Moses <clears throat> told them, this is so cool. Something that could apply to us even today, for chapter fourteen, verse thirteen, when it says, "Fear not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord." which he will mm -hmm. show you today. For the Egyptians who mm -hmm. we have seen today, ye shall see them again no more forever. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. It says the Praise Lord God. I see, I see a, a whole bunch. I see a whole bunch of hand claps coming yes. up on, on my screen. And I, I really appreciate that. Um, people are apparently they're liking something that's been said. But here's my yeah. question. You know, now we've been liberated. I've been liberated when I got saved, as they say. But, you know, so wait a minute. Let me back up. The The army was chasing them, after them. First, they decided to let them go. But I heard one preacher joke and say, I think Farrah wanted his money back. <laughs> and and, and they, now they're chasing them out of there. And and the, the story is that the, the sea parts, the, the Israelites go through on dry land, and the sea swallows up the soldiers who were chasing after them, right? But here's my question. When we get saved, are there still things that are chasing oh, after yes. us? Oh, yes. I, we have to be on guard yes, for. Yeah, I really believe that's so. Because I don't think the devil is happy when someone becomes a child of God. He wants us back. I mean, I think of the story of Job. I mean, Job was a righteous man, and yet Satan tried as best as he could to destroy him. And so uh, it's when we get saved, we are not immune to the devil trying. But like Job, like Job, we just have to depend on God, depend on God, because he will carry us through. We don't have to worry about it. We just have to depend on God. A amen, Jackie. Amen. Now, I'm going to make a big jump here 
for our time constraints, we're about to close this up, but I wanted to say this. This has been an introductory um, level discussion, although we got kind of deep at times. I think it was a good reflection for somebody who's never heard this story. And But we're going to fast forward all the way up to the 20th chapter because it is here. In case you don't know where it came from, it is here that we, we hear of the Ten Commandments. And, and now we get to where um, Moses begins to receive the law from God. <clears throat> so if you ever wondered where the t Ten Commandments actually come from, this is one of the places where you can find it in um, Exodus, the 20th chapter. And I would, I would um, encourage you to, uh, if you've never read this story, I would encourage you to go back and read slowly as opposed to relying on what other people have told you in your family, but go check it out for yourself. Um, I mean, if, if uh, that, that's the best way to get to know the story and for yourself uh, with a reading and just be reminded that it is here in the 20th chapter of Exodus that you hear um, God giving them the law. So now he's brought them out of their slavery, but now he's gonna set some, some guidelines in place for um, their living, their, the practice of their living. Amen, 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 amen. So I think this would be a good place to yes. rest and hang our hats on. They were liberated, but yet they were given some guidelines. And and perhaps in our next um, sessions coming up, we'll explore um, humanity's ability to, or inability, I should say, to, to live up to those standards. It was never meant for us to to um, perfect them in our behaviors, but only to teach us what, what God was looking for and our need for a savior. So now I want to, um, I want to thank um, Jacqueline Goff McNish for spending such a moment with us and, and sharing and contributing to this session in such a powerful way. I want to thank the, the people that are listening in um, please, you know, join us. We'll be back next Sunday, the same time, to um, to continue this um, dialogue with introduction to biblical thought. I want you to um, to visit the website www.reverendjstuartglover.com. You can put your comments and questions. This conversation can be will be found by tomorrow on YouTube with some really nice video um, introductions. I had fun doing that. So having said all of that, thank you for coming. Thank you for the hand claps. And we will see you next time. And, God bless and you. And thank you for having me, Jay. I had a good time. Thank you so much. Amen. Thank you so much. We will, we will hear from everybody um, next week. And please, you know, send me your comments. God bless Take you. Care. Enjoy the rest of your Amen. day. Amen. Take care. Amen. Thank you for listening to Faith Talk. This episode was part two of our series, Introduction to Biblical Thought. Please join us Sunday, August the 7th at four o'clock Eastern Standard Time as we continue this exciting topic. Our scheduled guest will be Professor Jacqueline Goff McNish, and we will be exploring the text once again. Please visit the Faith Talk website, www reverendjstuartglover.com and if you select the drop down menu you'll be able to sign up for email notifications you can leave a review
You can leave a voicemail, contact me directly by email. And I would hope that you visit the blog section or, or register as a guest speaker on the show. We invite you to post your comments and feedback. I'd like to thank our listeners in the United States, in the United Kingdom, Ireland, India, Sweden, China, Canada, Kenya, Zambia, Singapore, Germany, Belgium, the Philippines, Jamaica, Virgin Islands, New Zealand, Mexico, France, Ecuador, and Brazil. It is our desire to, to embrace an international faith community. So I would like to thank you for uh, visiting the website and engaging these conversations. Thank you for listening. God bless you and may goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life.